Let's go ahead and look in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, this sermon is called Respond Righteously to Evil Part 2 because last week we, we talked about responding righteously to evil. And these are two separate sermons. If you missed last week, you're not going to be missing anything um, going into this sermon. But they do connect in the sense that, that if you've heard one and you hear the next, then it will um, just magnify the, the two. But they stand on their own also. And we're going to be in verses 13 through 17 today. And if you remember last week, we looked at some very practical things to do. These, these people that Paul is writing his letter to, um, they are scattered throughout the region, and they are Christians who are experiencing some persecution. And Paul, for over a chapter now, has been telling them, um, submit to the ruling authorities, uh, wives, submit to your husbands, even, even if they're not Christians, your submission to them will be a sign of God's love. And we talked about the complexity of what submission looks like for a wife and how um, the way we understand that word can taint our understanding of that verse before we even read it. And we, we looked at how husbands, in a sense, you're to submit to your wives um, because of the love that you're supposed to have for her and the way that you're supposed to care for her and treat her. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then um, we, we looked at last week, in verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. He started listing some things practically that we can do if we're a Christian and we're trying to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. And in the midst of living for Jesus, um, we see we go through suffering and, and maybe we have some persecution from some people around us. Then there are some ways that we are to respond. And now, let's be clear, we're to respond these ways whether we're going through persecution or not. The, the uh, thrust of this text is, is that even if you're going through persecution, it's not an excuse to rebel against authority. Even if you're, going to, if you're, if you're experiencing persecution in the household from a spouse, that just means you're to live for God even more wholeheartedly and to love them, not to live for God in a way that's rubbing it in their face, but to love them so that they can see God in your love. And we are to practically have these things listed in verse 8, uh, unity, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Uh, and then we're, there are some things we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to trade insults. Just because someone is insulting us, just because someone is treating us um, poorly, does not mean that we are to treat them poorly in return. And so there are some things that we were told not to do. And then it talks about the importance of the, the tongue and not just trading insults, but the tongue is a powerful weapon, and we should not use it as a weapon. Um, we should seek peace and pursue it. And, and then we closed last week's sermon talking about how uh, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and that if we are living in sin, then God has every right not to respond to our prayers. If we pray for something and we are in the midst of, of um, not repenting, not having right fellowship, not having right relationship with God, then he has every right not to hear our cries, not to listen to our prayers. And so that's where we stopped. Um, 
we are to do right in the Lord's eyes and not, and, and not worry about the other people, and he's going to pick up right there. So look, at, look with me at 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 13 through 17, and then we'll come back and look at these verses individually. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So going back to verse 13, um, that we're going to see three different things in, in this passage. And, of course, we're looking at how to respond righteously to evil, how to respond righteously to persecution, to suffering. Um, and one of the main things that we need to make sure that we're doing in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, is understanding who has the power. Jesus is sovereign. God is sovereign. He has the power. I know that it's, it's hard for us to think about, but if God chose to end all of the suffering of everyone in this room right now, he could do it if he chose to do it. Now, he has put us here on this earth, and he has given us freedoms, a freedom to choose whether to obey him or disobey him, freedoms to do all kinds of, make all kinds of choices, and sometimes we use those freedoms, and they are so beneficial for us and the people around us. We use our freedoms in such a productive way, in a helpful way, in a love-filled way, and then sometimes with our freedom, we make mistakes. We not just make mistakes, we sin, and so we have to be careful about that. We have to make sure that we're living for God um, and, and using our choices, using our freedom for good. And one of the things that helps us to do that is to, to realize that we are to be living for God, that we are to be in love with God, uh, but also that he is Lord and that we are to do what he has told us to do. So in thinking about the freedom that God has given us, when, we, when we've made bad choices throughout history, humanity, those bad choices have caused pain and hurt and suffering. And we've all seen this. We've all been the one, if you're old enough, and, and I would say uh, if you're old enough to reason, then you, you can figure out that you've already caused pain. Because if you've ever had a baby, you know that even babies can cause you pain. Um, whether it's emotional pain because of maybe they're, they get sick and how bad it hurts to see your baby sick. Or physical pain because sometimes those babies, they say their heads are soft. I don't know how because uh, every headbutt I ever received hurt. Um, but we, we are capable of causing pain from an early age. And we are capable of being caused pain at an early age. Um, and that's unfortunate. But we, the choices we make inflict pain sometimes. And so we live in a world where pain exists and hurt exists. 
And God has given us these freedoms, and some of these freedoms result in the most beautiful things that you've ever seen, and some of these freedoms result in the most painful things that you've ever seen. And what we have to realize is that God has promised that one day he is going to return. Jesus is going to return, and this time he's not coming as a suffering servant. He's not coming to die on the cross. He has already done that. He's not coming to proclaim the gospel. He's already done that. When he comes, he will be returning um, as a victorious God, as a victorious king who is coming to make things right and to punish those who have done wrong, who sin who has not already been covered and punished uh, on the cross. And he's going to do that. There will be a day, whether it's the end of our life, life is brief. The older I get, the more I realize that. And some of you in here have experienced loss very recently. Life is very brief, and it's very fragile. And in knowing that life is brief and very fragile, we can know that Jesus is going to return, whether we see him... um, through death, or whether we see him in his return, I don't know. But we'll see him in one of those ways. All of us will. And so, with that knowledge, with knowing that our judgment lies in the hands of God, with knowing that our future lies in the hands of God, with knowing that truth, that Uh, we should fear God. It's all throughout the Bible to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, according to God's word. And so we are to fear him. We are to understand that life is short. We are to understand that one day he will return. But that fear is not based in being scared of him. It's just, it's based in reverence and respect of how great he is. It's just like, I love bonfires. I, I don't, there's something about fire. Now, I'm not starting any fires, okay, so don't start any rumors, but I do like fire. There's just, I could just sit and watch a fire uh, all night. And a lot of times when we go to Rosa's parents' house, her dad will build a fire, and we'll just sit out and sit around it and talk and watch it. And I just love it. It's fun. Um, but fire can be dangerous also. And we have, we have to understand that while something can be fun, something can also be dangerous, right? Um, my wife, for example. No, I'm just playing. And so what we have to do with fire is we have to understand that it can be very helpful, um, but we, we have to respect it. We have to understand that it can be dangerous. And, in a, and this is a simple illustration. But in the same way with God, we have to understand that while God is beautiful, while God is love, while God is powerful, um, and, and he, is, he uses that power with wisdom and, and with goodness, God is also just, and he is going to judge, and he is going to judge righteously. He is going to do what is right, and if we have sinned, the Bible tells us that he will judge that sin, and so we have to be ready for that. We have to be prepared for that, and while it's true that God is just and while God is righteous and that God will judge sin and we should fear the Lord, it is also true that he is love. 
And God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And when Jesus came, he did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Because he loves us and he, he desires to have a relationship with us. And so that's what he has done for us. Yes, we should fear the Lord, but we should, if, we're, if we are in a right relationship with him, then that fear should only be based in reverence and respect of his power and his goodness and his greatness and, and what he, he will do what he has promised to do. But we don't have any fear of being judged and sent to hell because Jesus has already covered those sins if we have faith, if we put our faith in him. Now, if we don't have a relationship with the Lord, then there should be another level of fear. And that is that he will do what he has promised to do. And he has promised that he will forgive those who put their faith in his son. Uh, but for those who do not, then that forgiveness will not be given. Those individuals will have to pay for their own sins. And there won't be grace. There won't be that gift because he's a righteous judge. He has to do what is right. And re repaying wrong with judgment is what is right. So with all that said, back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, this is a rhetorical question, it seems like anyway. Um, and honestly, uh, are there people that existed in the world uh, during this time who wanted to harm these people for doing good? Yeah, there was. So it's a, it's a strange question if, you, if you're not looking at it in context because there were plenty of people who wanted to harm them for doing good. Um, but how do you define harm? Because if you're defining it on a temporary earthly sense, then yes, they could be harmed. But if you're defining it on an eternal sense, they're not going to be harmed. It's just like we see all over the world um, Christians who are dying simply because they have put their faith in Jesus. Now, we're not seeing this in America. We see, I mean, there are some forms of persecution. But our form, the forms of persecution that most of us have experienced are nothing compared to what Christians in different parts of the globe are experiencing. Now, some Christians have it better than, than American Christians have it. Um, but some Christians just for calling on the name of Jesus, they're killed. And so we have to realize that. We have to recognize that. And so it's interesting that he chooses to write this verse. Let's, let's read this together. It's on the screen. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Well, there's a lot of people there to harm them if you're looking at it from an earthly sense. Because if I look at it in my life, um, I know that there are people who, given the chance, they would take advantage of me. And the same could be said of you. There are people who would be willing to harm you. There are people who would be willing to take advantage of you. And so why is Peter asking this question? Look at verse 14. I think he's asking it in a relative sense. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. What he's saying is, is that, sure, people can hurt us, but 
if we truly have faith, if we truly believe that the Bible is God's word, then can anything that is done to us on earth hinder our eternity? Can it hinder our souls? Think about what Jesus said. He said, don't fear men who have no power over your souls, right? Fear God who has power over your souls. And so we're not, we don't have to be scared of what might happen in our lives. We don't have to be scared of, and look, we, if, in context, let me just repeat for those of you who weren't here, I am a terrible sufferer. I am the biggest whiner when I get sick. And when things aren't going my way, I mope and complain. I, look, I just need to be honest that just because the Bible says it should be a way, I'm not there yet. I'm striving to be all the things that God has called me to be, but I'm a work in progress. And when it comes to suffering, it's easy for me to stand up here and preach. When suffering comes our way, let it be an opportunity for joy. And it's hard for me to practice when suffering comes my way, letting it be an opportunity from joy, for joy. I think I'm getting better as I get older, I hope. Rose might disagree with that. But suffering it, on, on this side of eternity can be an opportunity for great things. There's a quote, um, and I am completely blanking on who said it, but there's a story in one-on-one with God, this Bible study that I use, where, um, where a shoe salesman is on a boat, and he goes to Africa, and he gets off the boat, and um, he sends a, a telegram or whatever it was back in the day and says, the people here don't even wear shoes. I'm coming home. And then uh, uh, sometime later, a salesman gets off the boat, and he says, sends a memo back home, and he says, the people here don't even wear shoes. Send a boat full of shoes, right? It's perspective. When we can look at things in two different ways, the same situation, but we can look at it in two different ways. And so when we look at the suffering that we go through here on earth, yes, it hurts. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it matters. It's what God uses more than anything else, I believe, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to shape us and transform us into the people that he wants us to be. When I look back at times of suffering in my life, whether it's sickness or just uh, consequences of my, my poor choices or people out to get me, when I look back in my life and I see those things, I see how God has shaped those things and used those things to, to de develop me into the man that he desires for me to be or how he is currently using those things to shape me into the man that he desires for me to be. And so we have to realize that, yes, it's painful. Yes, life can be hard. But that should just encourage us even more to put our faith in Jesus because he can deliver us from that. And when you look at our temporary suffering, and I know sometimes suffering doesn't seem temporary because sometimes we can be sick where every minute is miserable and hurts, and it feels like an eternity. But when we get to real eternity, we're going to look back at this life, and we're going to see how brief and how short it is. I remember when I was in high school, maybe junior high, but I think I was in high school, an adult telling me about how short life is. 
And it was really hard for me to have a frame of reference at 14 or 15 to, to understand that, yeah, life is short. But now I have my own children, and I'm watching how fast they're growing, and I've lost people whom I love dearly in my life, and it's a lot easier for me at 38 to understand how brief life is. And for some of you who are twice my age, then you have a much better understanding about how brief life is. I mean, yes, time drags on sometimes, but then we can look back on life and it seems like it's flown by. It feels like yesterday I was in high school. It feels like yesterday I was the one receiving a Bible for recognition of, of graduation. And now I'm old enough to be Artem's dad, you know? Time flies. <laughs> He's like, thank God, I hate you're not. But no, I'm just playing. Um, and so... We have to realize how temporary it is. I know this is different than how I usually preach because um, these verses are so entwined that the first one and the last one, we have to look at them all together. But now let's go back and look at some of these verses. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So whether it's actual people persecuting you or whether it's sickness, or whatever the case might be that you're going through the trouble that you're going through, we can put our faith and trust in Jesus, and yes, while we're being troubled, not be troubled. Because we know that it's temporary. Even if it ends in death, it's temporary. And you know what's not temporary? Eternity. Eternity is not temporary. And when we have been faithful here, what will we will... What we were, I don't know what that was. Um, what will we receive? We will receive a blessing. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as the Lord. Or, sorry, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And this is verse 15. And I just want to talk about this for a second. We're not to fear people or things that can trouble us. We're to trust Christ. We're to understand that we will be blessed. There will be a reward for the suffering that we go through and when we remain faithful for the Lord. That's biblical. But it's important for us to remember that in our hearts we are to honor Christ as the Lord. Lord means... He gets to control our lives. Lord means we have to do things His way, not our way. If we get to do things our way, then we're Lord of our lives. In order for Him to be our Lord, we have to submit to Him. And it's interesting here that, that it, it comes down to this. Sure, it's a few verses after He said finally already, but... In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. If you are not honoring Christ the Lord as holy, if, if he's not your Lord, then you're not honoring him. And if you call him Lord and you're not submitting to him, then is he Lord? It's a, it's a pretty easy question. And, and if, if he doesn't get to direct the steps of your future, it, let me rephrase that. If what he has 
told us and asked of us in his word, if you're not doing things that way, therefore you're not doing things the way that he ordained them, then is he Lord of your life? Sometime a couple hundred years ago, we started making a big deal of uh, receiving Jesus as Savior. But biblically, you cannot separate his, him being Messiah and Savior from him being Lord. He is both. Yes, he is able to save, but when we begin a relationship with him, he becomes Lord of our life. And so in your life, are you submitting to what he desires? I'm, I'm going to be hard here. I don't think I'm a very hard guy. I, I can be. I just wanted to soften the blow before I, you know, lay it on. But I'm just going to be honest. A lot of times I look around at my life, at the lives of others, and I don't think we're doing a very good job of him being Lord. If all the people who call themselves Christians submitted to his lordship, this church, look at the empty seats. They wouldn't be empty if all the people who, in our community who call themselves Christians submit to his lordship. Because he has told us not to neglect the meeting together of the saints, right? He has told us the importance of church. Therefore, they would be in church. And not only would our church not be empty, but neither would the Church of Christ, the Assembly of God, the Nazarene, the Methodist, Coop Prairie. None of these churches would be empty. Because knowing what we seat and knowing how many people live in our community... And even if half of those people call themselves believers, and I'm talking about our communities where we're from, not just city limits of Mansfield, but, you know, up on the mountains and stuff where some of you folks live. Or if, if you look for the middle of nowhere on a map where Dan and Lana live. Um, if we were submitting to his lordship, then it would be evident in our lives. Not only will we be at church, being at church, that's one of the elementary things about being a Christian, right? We would be submitting to his lordship. We would be doing what he wanted. We would let him decide and determine the steps that we take in our future. And let me tell you something. We think, we struggle about what should we do and how should we do it. And, and is this the right thing to do? And if I don't do this now, I might not have time to do this later and this and that and that. If you will listen to God's word, if you will do what he has told us to do, if you will submit to his lordship, if you will be faithful in the little things, in this temporary life, we will be blessed for an eternity. Now look, salvation is not dependent upon our works. Salvation is a gift of God it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It is not by our works. We cannot boast about it, okay? It's, we didn't do anything to get saved. Our salvation is a gift. But you know what is in our hands? Our obedience after our salvation. Our faithfulness after our salvation. We are his workmanship. This is the following verse after Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which I just kind of paraphrased. In, in verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand so we could walk in them. 
What are the good works that he has prepared for you? What, is, what, are the faith, what, what would a faithful life for you look like? And are you walking in that? And if you are viewing him as Lord and as holy, then we are going to be obeying him with the big decisions about the direction of life and all that and with the little decisions about choosing to be holy, choosing not to gossip. I'm using the tongue because he used that illustration earlier. Choosing brotherly love, choosing kindness, choosing humility. We would be choosing those things that honor him, but in your hearts, honor, the Christ, the, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Are you ready to share the gospel with someone? Are you ready to tell them why you trust God in the midst of suffering? Are you ready to tell someone why you follow Jesus and why you love Jesus. And remember that this is in response to people who are probably antagonistic. If you think about the context of this passage, people who come to you and are like, why are you putting your faith in him? Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. It could be just someone asking genuinely. But we have to be ready for a defense in all seasons, no matter who's asking or why they're asking. We have to be ready to tell them about the faith that we have in Jesus. And if they belittle us for that faith, then so be it. What's more important, us being belittled for our faith or the, the glory of God? Of course, the glory of God. And is he big enough to handle any insult that comes his way? Yes. So we don't have to be insulted on his behalf. He can take care of himself. It's our job to be ready to give the defense. It's our job to be ready to tell them about the love of Jesus it's our job to be ready to continue to suffer for the sake of righteousness. There are men and women all over the world who lose their jobs, who lose their families, who lose their lives because of the love and the obedience that they have for Jesus Christ. And yet, in all of our freedom, the excess of freedom that we have, we so often choose not to use it the right way. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always been being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I cannot tell you how many self-righteous Christians I've heard who are sharing the gospel, but they're doing it with such arrogance, and they're doing it with such hatefulness that they get just as much joy out of telling someone that they're going to hell as they do about a, a person getting saved. That is not the right way to share the love of Jesus. That is not the love of Jesus. There is truth and grace simultaneously. The truth is, is that we are all sinners. All of us. There is no one righteous. None. And the wages of sin is death, is the truth. But where does grace come in? The second part of that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we, we share the gospel with gentleness and respect even to the people who are persecuting us if we have that scenario come up. Verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Verse, verses 16 and 17, I'm going to close with this. 
I cannot tell you, and I know that this might be weird for some of you to hear because you don't know that this exists, but I cannot tell you how many times in my ministry I've been threatened where people have told me, basically, if you don't do things my way, this is what's going to happen. And sometimes it's veiled, vague threats, and sometimes it's very specific threats. And it is what it is. But if you're following Jesus, persecution is going to happen. There was one time as a pastor where um, there was a, a person in my congregation who had a sin from their past, and someone let me know about it. And uh, I talked to that person. I felt completely comfortable that that person was striving to live for the Lord, that they had repented of, of those sins and all that. And uh, when the person who told on them, who I, I don't think had genuine motives, when the person who told on them found out the way that I handled it, that I handled it with gentleness and grace, and that I chose that since I believed that the sin was in the past, not to bring that to the church or to the deacons or to anybody, I'm not telling anybody about it, because I handled it that way, uh, the person got back with me and said, uh, you're basically threatened that they were going to tell on me and that it was going to cost me my job as a pastor. And I, there was some anger in my response, but I don't think I said any words that, were, that I shouldn't have said. I just said, if I've prayed about this, my, my wife has prayed about this in the vague way that she knew what was going on, and uh, we believe that we are making the right decision and this decision honors God, and if I lose my job for obeying God, then so be it. I'll get another one. And we have to be ready to suffer for the Lord. When we make the right choice, that doesn't mean there isn't going to be consequences. Oftentimes, making the right choice for the Lord comes full of consequences because we are not in heaven yet. We live on a fallen, sinful planet. Of course there's going to be pain related. If you choose to tithe, for example... Give 10% of your income to the church, as is a biblical model. Is there going to be suffering in giving 10% of your income to the church? Absolutely. I can think of a lot of things I could do with that 10%. But let's look on the other side of that. Who gave me the 10% in the first place? Who can give me way more than 10% if I need it? According to what he determines my need is, not according to what I think my need is. Who has been so faithful to me and good to me? Jesus. Who has promised a blessing for those who obey him? Jesus. Who receives this? I'm switching the answer on you, so be careful. Who receives a crown when we get to heaven for the faithfulness that we endured while here on earth? We do. And whose feet do we get to lay that at? Jesus. It's all about his glory. And if you love him, if he is your Lord, then this should excite you and me that we get to honor him with our obedience and that we get to honor him with our suffering. No one likes suffering. I'm not saying you have to start liking suffering. We can still despise suffering and know that the reason we are suffering is because we're not home yet. We're not in heaven yet. But we can go through suffering and expect suffering. And when it comes, consider it all joy. Because we see God is at work. We know he's up to something. He wouldn't let this happen if he didn't have a plan. 
He wouldn't let this happen if there wasn't something better later. I don't want to give any spoilers, but it gets pretty good according to Scripture. There will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more tears, no more hurting, no more persecution, no more of that stuff. He's going to make it all right. First of all, for those who haven't received Jesus, they're going to get what's coming to them. You don't have to worry about getting even or how's this person getting away with this. They're not getting away for it for very long. And so you can put your trust in God that he will make things right. But we can also pray that those people who are persecuting us can get saved because they don't deserve hell any more than we deserve hell or any less. And we don't deserve it any less, I should say. We all deserve hell equally because we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserve to be in God's presence. None of us deserve to be in heaven. It's only by his grace and through his son that we get that. And so the people who are persecuting us, what are we to do? We are to be good to them. We are to love them because we want them to experience the grace that we have experienced. We want them to know the Jesus that we know. We want them to be full of love and hope and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and humility and self-control. We want them to be full of those things like we are. And so how do we respond to evil? We respond righteously. We respond like God would respond. And we submit to his lordship because ultimately it's about his glory. And Haven said, it's time for the sermon to end. So I'm ending it, Haven. <laughs>